I don't know. The pinky doesn't really serve much of a purpose. And a thumb serves an important purpose, yeah. but it can't do certain things. Well, what can your pinky do that your thumb can't? I mean, your pinky is just like a less functional figure, finger, so I think it could do several different things. But then all your fingers would be the same size, too. I don't like that. Your fingers aren't real far off of me. <laughs> they are. My thumb and my pinky may be the same size. What do you think? I think that's one of those things where, like, back in, like, fourth grade, some kid's like, yeah, if your hand's the size of your face, you're going to have cancer or whatever, and then they hit it in your face. You definitely were the person that's always like, oh, it is, I think. No, what? That's rude. Everybody has to speak up. I listen to one of these podcasts. You can't hear half of what the hell we're saying. It's because then we we have the air conditioner kick on and you really can't hear anything. It's hot outside, bruv. I don't know what you want us to do. I know. I'm the one that turned the air conditioner down. Wow, guys. So I don't know. I don't know if I want all thumbs or all pinkies. I would assume thumbs, because I don't want to lose the abilities of what my thumbs allow me to do. I thought the question was if you could lose one. No, he said if you, you only had, had. Would you rather have all, all thumbs, thumbs or, or all, all pinkies? pinkies? Thumbs, probably. Yeah, I would say too. But then you couldn't make a pinky promise. because I, I make so many of those anyway. <laughs> hey, as a little kid, you do. Would you? All right, so you didn't answer the question. Uh, thumbs, sure. I don't know. I just it's randomly pick one. They're both awful. (laughs) The opposite of awful. We sort of talked about this off air when we were in the green room, um, before we came into the studio. But would you rather go to a Brazilian steakhouse, like all you can eat meats and steak, or all you can eat? Brazilian steakhouses aren't all you can eat. Yeah, they are. Yeah, have you ever been to one? We. You've never gone with us. Oh, boy. There's two in Columbus. There's Texas de Brazil, which we haven't been to. I have. And there's Rodizio, which we have been to twice. I don't know that I've been there. It's downtown. It's in the Arena District. Mm. So the would you rather go there and have all you can eat meat meat till you drop basically, or would you rather go and have all you can eat sushi, and why? Uh, probably sushi because you feel full in the moment, but then like 30 minutes later you're hungry again, so then I can have dessert. And not that many F's maybe in sushi, so it would go through you quick. Yeah. So, I think that would be my answer, because you get very uncomfortable very quickly if you're eating a lot of steak. And that kind of ru- ruins you. you well, do get uncomfortable, you do get uncomfortable. Un- you do get uncomfortable, yes, but and then it kind of ruins your night. So, I don't know that I'd want to play that game. I think in either case, you're not going to go out and, like, play soccer afterwards. Like, you're, you're kind of done in terms now. of, like, physical activity. But What are we? We're not athletes in that regard. You, most of all. I could play a little bit of soccer. You can't throw a baseball or a tennis ball, yeah, whatever man. we were throwing I was, yesterday. I was, I was putting them right in the bread basket. You, <laughs> you thought I was, like, eight feet tall. You see me, like, jumping to try and catch them. A couple, couple got away from me, but that's just what happens. Anyway, so that's my answer. Sushi. So you're still reeling from your last steak experience? You're going to go sushi? Yeah, just to change it up. (laughs) I'd probably say sushi, too. Although I like the Brazilian steakhouse a lot. I think it's fun. 
Well, it's all fun. You're eating. It's true. Uh, <laughs> so like a place like Cece's, all you can eat pizza or all you can eat sushi? Again, sushi. Because of the discomfort factor. Yeah. But they have dessert pizza. I know, but a pizza and, and my belly don't agree in general, so. What about you? Um, Cece's, you get, there's other stuff too, though. Like salad, salad pasta. Yeah, pasta. You can get spaghetti like there. The pasta pizza. Yeah. I forgot about the pasta pizza. <laughs> so oh, many why? different kinds of pizza. <laughs> uh, just I, uh, I'd say probably still sushi. Because Cece's pizza isn't like the greatest pizza. There's a yeah. reason. Yeah, it's not terribly expensive, and you can eat as much of it as you want. You're mm. not going there for the best pizza experience of your life. <laughs> You're going there to hog down some food. So is that your choice? Are you choosing No, pizza? still sushi. Because it's just, I've experienced that a lot. Like, if I know, I've been to CeCe's so many times that if I never went again, it's like, ah, okay. We almost went to CeCe's on, while we were on vacation, but they were closed. We Do you think we would have actually went? Oh, it was right there. <laughs> then we went and had to Uber I back to is... the thing and then Uber back out to a restaurant and would right there done and over with. This is the another situation where you're like, yeah, I could eat like four CC's pizzas and salad and dessert pizza. Oh, no, no. But then like you get there and it's it's the same as the ten thousand calorie challenge, I think. Big talk. We'll fi- I mean, we'll find, we'll find out, out when we go to get sushi, and I absolutely wreck you. You come out so hot, four <laughs> rolls ahead, and then, and then tears. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We will see. All right. What's the plan for today? Right, right. What do you want to talk about today? Do you not pay attention? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking you. What do you uh, want to talk about if today? You, so we're going to talk about how a strength cycle could potentially fall uh, into play, even if your goals are purely aesthetic based, um, and some of the benefits that can come with a strength cycle, even if our goals aren't inherently just to improve our one rep max of a few different lifts, um, and. Also, some other options that get the same idea accomplished um, without maybe doing a strength cycle. So we'll talk about that, too. Love it. So the vast majority of the people we work with uh, tend to engage mostly with hypertrophy-focused training blocks. And so uh, we do have a couple, obviously, competitive power lifters that we work with, so they have to do strength blocks as part of their competitive season um but even they you know often are engaged with hypertrophy for a variety of reasons so there's the opposite story of here too of why you would use hypertrophy to potentiate strength but in this case we're going to talk about why you would use strength to potentiate hypertrophy i think maybe the biggest one for me right out of the gate is just for a change of pace uh so even if you really really like a given style of training there is uh, a little bit of inherent excitement that comes with changing. And so maybe that's changing your rep range, maybe it's changing movements, maybe it's just a different general focus uh, for each session, each week, and then each mesocycle, and then the whole block. And that can be a welcome change for people, especially if they've been, been pounding their way through something for a certain period of time. What do you think is, what comes to mind for you? Uh, first, 
resensitization and then also what does that mean uh to basically get more out of your hypertrophy so your body over time gets used to hypertrophy and it adapts to it and adapts to the volume or intensity or however you want to look at it um so if you take time away from it your body um is much more sensitive to it when it comes back to it similar to uh maybe if you haven't eaten a certain thing for a long time and then you eat it again you're like it tastes extra good this time because i haven't had it in a while yeah i think that's a good good analogy if you have the best cheesecake in the world every day after a while you, you don't care about it but if you don't have it for a while and then have it on a special occasion it is all the better i think that's something that's lost on people too um is that you can't in either case um you can't do one thing optimally productively forever so you can't just train for strength forever uh, you can it just won't be terribly productive after a while and it, if you just train for hypertrophy forever without taking any kind of break it won't be terribly productive after a while so if you take these little breaks you can sort of kill two birds with one stone of accomplishing another task uh, getting a little change of pace and then sort of resetting you for to re-embark in your maybe your what is your main uh, focus I think so you might be asking yourself why okay it resensitizes you but how um, and that's because the styles of training are completely opposite so with hypertrophy we're much higher rep range and strength cycles were much lower so since the volume isn't as high um, your body just gets used to um, maybe more intense loads but much lower reps um, and obviously then when you switch back to hypertrophy the much higher reps or volume um, is what you're resensitized to so it's not just like your body knows that you switch the little thing at the top of your program name switched uh, the reasoning behind it is the drop in volume so why don't we give them an example, right, of like a back squat and what a back squat would look like in terms of reps and sets and hypertrophy and then in like a strength block. So in hypertrophy, we might have like two to four sets or one to four sets of six to 12 uh, rep range at maybe somewhere between like 50 and 75 or 80% on a very high end and um, in a strength cycle, we're working more with maybe one to six sets of generally three to five reps at 75 plus percentage of your one rep max. So just to clarify, um, what resensitizes you to hypertrophy is a period of lower volume. We don't want to do nothing. Right, so you could just take, the takeaway could be like, all right, so if I want to resensitize myself, I'll just take two months off from the gym. That'll get me resensitized. And it definitely will. You'll be unbelievably sensitive to hypertrophy training, uh, but you'll unfortunately have lost a lot of muscle and maybe lost a lot of the progress that you'd previously made. And so this can be a productive way basically to lower your volume. So when we talk about volume, we're talking about the number of working sets that you're doing. So yes, you also are doing lower reps, but actually volume is the key determinant of resensitization. So to having a period 
of lower volume training, and this could look like um, maintenance, whatever your maintenance volume is. So it could be like literally two working sets of everything for a couple weeks, and that's enough to do the trick, or uh, a full-on strength block where it might be some things might be uh, start off say at two sets and end at three and never go above that, and other things might be you know a few more, but still enough to get you pretty sensitive. Um, but in either case. The idea is to hang on to the progress you've made while sort of resetting you to do um, another productive block of training. The other option or the other sort of benefit to this is you get physically stronger within a strength focus cycle. Now the caveat to that is you also get physically stronger when you train for hypertrophy. And I think this is lost sometimes with people where we'll talk to clients and they're like, yeah, I want to get stronger. So I'd like to do a strength block. And oftentimes a, they're thinking of stronger in terms of like one rep max. And, and that is in the powerlifting sense, that is the goal of a strength block. Um, but that's not the only way you get stronger. So you can get stronger for sets of one, three, five, 10, 20, all of that stuff you, equates to you being physically stronger. So it's there's sort of a Venn diagram type overlap of blocks where you still get stronger when you train for hypertrophy. It's not your just not your express purpose, especially not uh, stronger in the like one rep max sense. However, in training for strength, the the windup can be when you return to hypertrophy that you can express those movements with heavier weight. And because tension or weight on the bar or in terms of dumbbells, etc., is the primary driver along with volume of hypertrophy, of muscle growth, of body composition change, that tends to be beneficial. Uh, the more, the stronger you are in many cases and your te technique being sort of equated, the more you're going to get out of training. So that's inherently a good part about switching and training for strength. So when you return to hypertrophy, you know, if you could back squat, you know, 135 pounds for sets of 10 before, you might come in and start at 155 pounds now for sets of 10. I think a great example of that for me would be uh, my maybe top end, like various, very heaviest weight that I would use uh, like seven or eight months ago for hypertrophic back squats was now my like first, like week one of hypertrophy mesocycle one back squat weight. So now I'm squatting like 40 pounds heavier for a hypertrophic rep range and more reps uh, in most cases than I was previous to the strength cycle. Um, and I think going off of kind of what you said about the Venn diagram thing, in the same way that you're going to get stronger in a hypertrophy cycle, but it's not your express uh, kind of optimal goal, you're also going to still gain muscle to some extent in a strength cycle. So powerlifters generally up to a certain weight class are still pretty jacked, still carry a significant amount of muscle. Um, so it's not, they're not like mutually exclusive you get you get benefits of one with the other but obviously one is going to be more optimal for each thing than the other i think another big benefit of doing either a low volume phase 
which we would term a resensitization phase or just a strength block, which would be an extended version of that basically with, with some more pointed outcomes, is that you're also exposed to different movements. So the reality is, is there's a lot of crossover, say, between the world of hypertrophy training or bodybuilding style training and powerlifting, but it's not 100% crossover. Obviously, there are specific movements that fit particularly well within each sort of domain. But the nice thing is, is when you switch back and forth, you change movements. And so where we start to see people potentially have issues with uh, overuse injuries because they keep doing the same exercise for months and months and months and months, and then you know all of a sudden their elbows hurt, their wrists hurts, their knee hurts, their shoulder hurts, to no great surprise, um, we can avoid a lot of that if we just change your exercises a little bit and we change the object of the exercise. And this would go actually still the, the, the reverse would work too. If you have somebody whose primary focus is competitive powerlifting, it is not a great idea for them to only do the competition lifts for months on end because it's number one, it's going to beat them up. And number two, the movements are going to become stale. So we can alleviate that staleness in either direction by shifting our focus a little bit. Yeah, I think so. A great example of this uh, would be you're not going to stop bench pressing, but maybe your pause competition bench you only do in the last 8 to 12 weeks prior to your meet or max out day or competition, however you want to look at it. And the time before that, maybe we're wide grip benching, maybe we're close grip benching, incline benches thrown in there. Maybe we were doing stuff with dumbbells. So we're still in that general movement pattern, but it's not, it's still slightly different. So we can keep that uh, fresh, both in terms of keeping it exciting each, each day that you go into train, but then also, um, like you said, in terms of overuse injuries or um, making sure that we can still progress and not just kind of plateau. So another way we can look at this is if someone, uh, and we have a lot of people like this, their primary focus is body composition change. Uh, that's what they came to us with the express purpose of, and that's really what we talk about with them on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. They're not always super interested in doing dedicated strength cycles. This is also the case for people who maybe are coming to us with injuries, where they have a bad knee or they have a rugged lower back where they can't. Doing a dedicated strength block doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense for them or doesn't necessarily align with their goals. So in that case, we can shorten this, still keep them in what we would see as like a hypertrophic rep range. So that would be like instead of sets or sets with three to six reps, anywhere from five to 30 reps, uh, but often usually in that like eight to 12, six to 12 range. Um, and what we can do is use sort of strength, slightly more strength focused training with low volume to get them to this point too, but without putting them through the wear and tear inherent in a strength focus cycle. So why don't, why don't you speak to that a little bit because you've obviously done a lot of strength focus cycles and they can beat you up a little bit. So what would be a situation where you're going to use sort of strength focused training to resensitize somebody, but you're not going to take them all the way through peaking and one rep maxes or they're just, they're not interested in that. Yeah. So I think, um, someone who, uh, like you said, has maybe some various injuries or maybe it's just mentally a little unconfident to um, 
like handle very heavy loads. So uh, there's, I think just about everyone gets a little nervous before they uh, squat or deadlift or bench or do whatever, something, uh, a weight that is pretty close to maximal. Um, so maybe it's partially that, so we can still push progress um, and getting stronger and working with heavier loads, but not quite as heavy. And I think sometimes people mentally look at six to 12 reps a little bit different than one or two. Um, just because you kind of know you can at least do a couple, so you can probably do a couple more after that. Um, I think another place where this would fall into is uh, a athlete in another sport. So someone who maybe plays uh, sports in high school or college um, and needs to have kind of that fine line of power output, but then also endurance, right? So uh, maybe a sprinter or soccer player, someone who has very quick bursts of energy, um, but then has a little bit of time to recover because that's very similar to the timeline of doing a set of six or six to 12 on back squats or deadlifts or anything. Um, and then I think finally someone who, um, like we said, maybe just want a different change of pace, or maybe they do a lot of machine work or they've only done machine work in the past. Um, and they've kind of just done like the, the bro mentality at the, at their local gym. Um, so still working in rep range that they're familiar with, but with some new movements to kind of meet them in the middle. What do you do in terms of nutrition with somebody who's in a resensitization phase? Let's say you have a client who's chiefly interested in fat loss. And so this would incorporate, this is probably 75, 85% of our client base and probably of the people listening, 95% if, if, you know, unless I've missed my guess. Um, so if that's our chief focus, we want to lose fat. We want to, yes, we want to physically get stronger. We want to have more general capacity for everyday life, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we really just want to look better, be healthier. How do you manage nutrition um, for someone when they're in a resensitization phase or a strength focus phase? Because that's a little bit more nuanced than um, if they're training for hypertrophy and just trying to lose fat. So assuming that this person doesn't have a competition or meet where they have to make a certain weight class or that they, or we can assume that they already are in their weight class that they need to be in, um, I would put them in maintenance because the volume isn't high enough. Uh, if you were eating a surplus, the volume isn't high enough to actually get anything out of it. You would just likely gain fat. Um, and if you're in a deficit, the volume also isn't high enough, um, so you would end up just losing muscle or you have a higher likelihood of losing muscle. Um, so for most people, just putting them in a maintenance phase so they don't lose anything, so they don't gain any fat, um, but they can still reap all the, the benefits of being resensitized and or gaining strength. It's also a good point or a good point in time for people who kind of are happy with their weight, but want to uh, make some like body recomposition changes um, in terms of that by staying in maintenance during that time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the the reality for people is that we can't, if you come in and you want to lose 40 pounds, we are not going to be able to do that in one shot. 
right? So let's say you come in and you are 220 pounds and you want to get down, you feel like your ideal weight is 180 pounds, either based on past experience or that's just your best guess. It is not one fat loss phase with like real hard training and you lose 40 pounds. That's not how it works. At most, you're going to lose, we're going to have you lose like 7 or 8% of that 220. So we might have you lose like 16 pounds. Okay. So that gets you right around, you know, say 205. It's that point we need to take a break from dieting. And that's a really, really good time probably to also take a break from hypertrophy training. So another really big benefit to doing like a resensitization phase or a low volume phase or a strength phase, however you want to look at it, is clearing diet related fatigue. Um, so unfortunately, so fortunately, people are actually quite good at losing fat. Um, unfortunately, they're even better at gaining back that weight, usually plus some. And one of the big culprits is they try to lose, they try to get to their target weight in one giant war, basically, um, and throw their body into you know a state where it feels like it's starving. You have uncontrollable hunger. Um, you've been in a caloric deficit for a significant amount of time, all of which builds a lot of fatigue. You only have so much bandwidth to withstand that fatigue, and eventually you crack, and it kind of the wheels fall off. So what we need to do is take breaks in between and think of it like going down steps. Like if you're going to go down a long flight, steep flight of steps, most normal rational people wouldn't just jump down to the bottom, right? Because you're going to break your ankles. Crash dieting and trying to lose all the weight at once is the equivalent of that. Like, yeah, you might make it down there, but you're going to break your ankles and then you're, you're in trouble. Instead, what we're going to do is walk down the steps one at a time, taking little plateaus as we need them. And so this dovetails really, really nicely with a break in training, so to speak, that we have to take anyway. I think uh, you can, we can go kind of the opposite end of the spectrum too with someone who is maybe doing hypertrophy and they've been eating in a surplus um, purposefully to gain muscle. Um, how can a, what does our nutrition look like in a resensitization phase potentially for someone who is in that surplus or they've been in a surplus for the past three and a half, four months um, and their their express goal is to put on as much muscle as they can. So there's the reality is, is that you don't add muscle on like a immediate basis. So it's not entirely understood fully. Um, so it's mostly theoretical, but we can what we people think people smarter than us think um, is that there's a scaffolding effect. So very similar to building a building where there's like the first thing you do is build sort of the skeleton of the building and then you fill in all of the other constituent parts. So drywall, electricity, plumbing, elevators, flooring, etc. They think your musculature works in much the same way where there's a scaffolding effect first and then it sort of gets filled in later on. So because of that, because it's gradual and because it happens phasically, we want to think about not pulling the rug out, so to speak, 
from the basically your body's need for nutrition to do that. So from example, what that means in like everyday English that everybody can understand is in the period following a muscle gain phase where you're eating at a surplus, you've theoretically put on some muscle, you've probably almost certainly put on some fat too. Uh, obviously, the, the drive for most people is they want to lose the fat. They want to keep the muscle, lose the fat. But in reality, what you should do is sit at maintenance for a second to let that muscle sort of fill in, so to speak. And again, this is theoretical. This isn't. This hasn't been like proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. But the idea is that you sit at maintenance, allow that process to complete itself before you pull back nutrients. Which at, at which point your body has no ability to put on muscle. Like you're not going to add muscle in a caloric deficit unless you, you fit in a relatively small range of possibilities, which is like you're a beginner or you're vastly overweight or you're on steroids. Like that's the only three ways it works. Um, so what we need to think about doing is allow that process of muscle building to finish before we drop the fat and, and make another run at, at gaining weight. Boom. Boom. <laughs> Jesus. So that, well, you and I are both coming up uh, soon-ish on that point. Yeah. Um, so maybe we can talk about where we're at right now or what kind of a day in terms of training and nutrition looks like and then how it'll switch in roughly a month. Yeah, or maybe just also, too, what, what, what your plan is. So you're planning to do a little volume phase or a strength cycle or... Etc. Why don't you go first since you had that idea? Uh, Talk loud into that microphone. I will just do a low volume phase. Um, I don't have anything against doing another strength cycle, but that's longer than I really want to dedicate to some, like longer than I want to be out of hypertrophy right now. Um, and I just don't have a great interest in going back to a strength cycle at the moment because I'm enjoying hypertrophy. Um, so I'll hang out at maintenance for a second and then um, during that lower volume phase, uh, I will run a mini cut to try to cut off as much of the fat as I can that I've accumulated and then just start back at the beginning and go back into a surplus. So why don't we talk about how long have you been in a surplus? How long will you drop to maintenance? When will you choose to do or for how long will you do a mini cut? And then what happens after that? Pause for a second. So just to give people a sense of the difference in time between a resensitization phase or a low volume phase and a strength cycle, a resensitization phase is usually about three or four weeks with a deload on each end. Uh, a strength cycle could be anywhere from 6 to 16 weeks. So there's a big difference and if your primary objective at a given time is to put on muscle, you want to get back to putting on muscle as quickly as you can. So that's part of, you know, obviously interest but also part of rise impetus is a resensitization phase just takes less time basically. So unpause, sorry, go ahead. Um, so I've been in a surplus for, by the end of it, it'll be like three and a half, four months. Um, maintenance will be uh, like a week or two and then uh, mini cut will be the the extent of uh, the resensitization cycle so likely three or four weeks um, and then deload and then uh, potentially a week of active rest depending on how I feel and then I'll just go back to the beginning um, in terms of hypertrophy 
mesocycle one, go through it for another three and a half, four months in a surplus, and then likely from there go through a full quote unquote real cut um, lasting longer than three or four weeks. Uh, my tentative plan is very similar. So I've been in, you're one week ahead of me, but I've, so I've been in a surplus, a caloric surplus for uh, eight weeks, I think. Nine. Some, eight, yeah, something or like I'm that. nine, you're, yeah. Yeah, yeah so about eight weeks. Uh, it's going fine. Uh, just just kind of as you expect, you're just, or as one would expect. So putting on some strength, uh, weight and reps are going up. Training is beginning, getting progressively more difficult, uh, slowly sort of getting fatter. This is the interesting thing about it is you, you look worse over time and you just have to sort of be patient. Um, and I'll probably do the same thing depending on how heavy and how fat I am at the end of the next mesocycle. I'll either do a mini cut if I think I can clear myself enough runway for another productive block of training. If I think that uh, because you can only mini cut, mini cut so hard and so long, um, if I think I've sort of outrun the efficacy of that, I'll do, a, well, I guess what you could call a mega cut or a, a full-on uh, fat loss phase where I'll, I'll drop it pretty far back down and then uh, start again. But if the mini cut uh, is still a possibility, I'll do that. I'll still probably be, I just took an active rest before this block, so still probably sensitive enough to hypertrophy training to get through maybe one more block um, and go from there. And the sort of, uh, we talk about it in sort of a dispassionate way, and that's kind of how you have to be, um, is you have to look at sort of the long view and you have to take a hard look at your own numbers. And frankly, for me, um, I have to take a hard look at how much longer I can productively add muscle. Like that's the reality is that it's a it's not the same individual to individual. But as you approach forty, you know your late thirties. You know, for some people, if they're very fortunate, they can go well into their forties and still add muscle. Other people can't. Um, I only have so much more time, so I need to try to make the most of that time and try to get as close to my genetic ceiling as I possibly can. And so, especially given at this moment that I don't have competitive aspirations for powerlifting, that could change at some point, but it just doesn't make, in terms of time, a ton of sense for me to dedicate three months to pushing my one rep maxes up a little bit where it doesn't, that's not, not only not really what I'm super interested in at the moment, but it's not wildly productive either. But I think to our overarching point of this podcast is that that doesn't mean that you've not gotten stronger oh, throughout no. the course yeah. of your hypertrophy training. No, yeah, I think that's the big misnomer. And it's a th- uh, subject we have conversations with clients with a lot is we get, or anybody, you get way stronger. Like if you're not, something's wrong. And sometimes it all it takes is looking back at your numbers. Like Rye referenced his back squat numbers that he's whatever, 50 pounds, 40 pounds over what he was doing for the same or more reps. All you have to do is look at your numbers. If you're doing more weight for more reps or more weight for the same reps or even potentially the same weight for the same reps but your technique is much better, like you feel it more, you get better mind-muscle connection, you have better soreness, all that stuff is indicative of positive change. And sometimes it's hard to see that when you're in the battle. It just doesn't, nothing ever comes as quickly as you want it to come. 
But what you have to do is try to take a step back and either look at your logbook, look at your data, because the data doesn't lie, um, or ask the coach that you're working with about it um, and have a conversation about it. But the reality is, yeah, you make huge strength progress training for hypertrophy. It's just not one rep max kind of strength. But the reality is, how often do you need to use one rep max strength? Like, how important is that, really? It's not often that you're doing maximal effort things. Um, so again, if you have competitive aspirations as a power lifter, that's a very different conversation. But if you have, if your main focus is body composition and, and looking great and being healthy, then this is the kind of stuff you want to think about, is you can't stick with one program forever, uh, optimally, uh, and then at times it makes sense to just flip the script a little bit. Yeah, and I think if you are someone that gets a little lost in the numbers, um, you have a hard time like either pushing past because you are in a hypertrophy block and you're like, oh, this weight, like this is this is a really heavy weight. It, it may be like 20 pounds or 10 pounds off of what used to be your one rep max. If that is a concern for you and you're like, I don't know that I can do this for 12 reps, it's a conversation that you can have with your coach. Um, and I know one that I have with my clients all the time. It's like, okay, that was a one rep max for you eight months ago. The fact that you can, you're within 10 pounds of that and you're doing 10 to 12 reps of that, that's not your one rep max anymore. Um, and so it's, it's something that should change your perspective on what that was if it is a number that you hit once upon a time. Yeah, and it's the, I think it's the reality, too, that um, you have to look at your own data. So if you're, I mean, if you're doing things willy-nilly, then obviously that's a little bit different. But if you're tracking things week over week, and let's say you're adding 5 pounds or 10 pounds or whatever uh, to the bar, so to speak, every week, the data speaks for itself. So if, you're, if your old, quote-unquote, one rep max is 225, and it's a little intimidating because this week you're going to do 215, and, you, and, and the task is to do 215 for 10 reps, but last week you did 210 for 11. Like, oh, that's really not that tall of an order because you have already effectively done it or done something that's so similar, you're not going to necessarily make a difference. So you sometimes, or notice a difference, sometimes you have to step back and be sort of with cold rationality and understand that 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 you, it's not just a looking at the numbers thing, but it's the perspective of what you've done previously. And then looking at that number is sort of, in most cases, if you have reasonable programming, probably pretty achievable. Challenging, but achievable. Yeah, for sure. There you go. There That's you it. you have it. Say your prayers, eat your chicken, drink some milk. I don't know. I don't drink milk. <laughs> I have a lactose intolerance, so it's not. What don't do that. What is happening right know. now? <laughs> How do we get to that point? I don't know. I just wanted to give, you know, who knows? <laughs> Final words Final, of yeah. wins? Read a book. I don't know. Go for there a walk. There you go. There, there we go. go. I don't. I mean, yeah, you should probably eat some chicken. That's That was a good one. But I don't know about drinking milk. They had ground you bison. You to. They had ground bison on sale at Giant Eagle today. So if anyone's stopping by a Giant Eagle, oh. you can also eat your bison. It's there so difficult when you eat bison, ground bison. You immediately just want to throw up a front double bicep because you can feel it. You can feel yourself becoming physically, visually more muscular. What an amazing animal. 
Is that what you think happens? That's what I know happens. Mm. Bison. Bison. Get into it. You can make taco meat out of bison. You can make bison burgers. There's bison steaks. Tremendous. Do it. They farm them. They're not extinct anymore. If you watch Dances with Wolves, you start to get a little bit sad about the bison. And they were almost gone, but they're not anymore. There's a kajillion of them. It's fine. They're sustainably farmed. Not a big deal. Have a couple. Have one. Have, Have a one. Few. Blow it up. They're like 3,000. I don't know. They're, they're giant animals, so you're just going to eat a fraction of one. But go for it. Knock yourself out. That's it. I think we covered it. 